evidence and answers. American youth are facing a mental health crisis of tremendous proportions. Medical reports reveal that the rates of suicide and depression have skyrocketed in the past decade. What are the factors contributing to this crisis? How should the followers of Christ respond? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, Pat and his guest, Dr. Randy Manley, will begin a discussion dealing with the mental health crisis and present practical ways Christians can serve and minister to those suffering. Now, Here's Pat with part one. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to the issues of today. Well, we're seeing a lot about a mental health crisis, especially amongst our young people. The rate of depression has absolutely skyrocketed, and along with that, also the suicide rate. Well, what is contributing to this, and what is it? that our Christian faith has to offer to those who struggle with depression and suffering from mental health issues. Why are we seeing a rise in mental health issues? To help us address this issue is Dr. Randy Manley. Randy is a senior pastor at the Molokai Baptist Church on the island of Molokai, where he's been serving there for nearly three decades. Man, Randy, wow, three decades in Molokai. You must be the senior pastor of the pastors in Molokai by now, huh? <laughs> yeah, you know, when you say that, Pat, it makes me feel so old. But yeah, I guess probably I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a tremendous testimony to you and your family. You're not born in Hawaii. In fact, you're from the East Coast and were called here and remained faithful here for nearly three decades. That's, that's fantastic. Well, it, yeah, it, sometimes you look at it and you go, it feels like three decades, and other times it seems like it's gone yeah. by so fast, and God's been really good to us. Yeah, you know, tell us, that's really rare, more and more I'm finding pastors staying at a church for that long. I think the average tenure is, what, two and a half years yeah, now that we're seeing. What are some keys for you and your family in being, especially in a place like Molokai? It's not a prestigious place like Los Angeles where you could grow a congregation at 2,000, 3,000, and it's not a heavy populated island. What are some of the keys that kept you there for nearly three decades? You know, Pat, it's really, in my mind, it's kind of simple. I'm not a real complicated person. I told our folks the very first Sunday that I was here almost 30 years ago, and have told them periodically since then, I feel very strongly that God called me to Molokai. Long story, can't go into it, uh, obviously, right now, but we did not want to come to Molokai. We had no desire to come here. And so it was very evident to me in the process that God was calling us here. And I just got to believe that if God's that clear to call me here, he's going to be super clear when it's time for me to leave here. And so he has not called me away. And so we stay. Yeah, wow, that's terrific. Being faithful to the call here. Well, we're talking about the mental health crisis, and we are seeing a rise not only here in our state, but throughout the United States, and I'm, I also think throughout the world. I just came back from Asia, and they're also facing this crisis. So what we're talking about is really a global 
kind of issue about depression and suicide rates, especially amongst the youth. So what's going on? What's the current state of our mental health here? Well, yeah, you're right. We certainly focus on the United States for obvious reasons, but it is uh, kind of a global thing. I was just talking to a friend of mine who has a ministry in uh, Barcelona, Spain, and he was telling me in that conversation how it's a real issue in that country as well. It's been on the rise for quite some time. It's just like so many things. When it starts to get to crisis levels, and that's kind of when everybody sits up and takes notice. But just to give you for one instance, this past July, our nation has had a number, a national number that you can call if you're having a mental health crisis, if you're suicidal, those types of things. And it's a regular 16-digit, I believe, phone number. Well, in July, they went to a three-digit emergency number. 988 is the number now. And so in the very first full month, that would be the month of August, there was a 50% increase in overall calls from the previous year, Wow, which would have been August of 2021. That would just give you a little idea. Those aren't even the stats on the text that you can make to that, which were up, I believe, if I remember it right, around 1,000% just in a year. Yeah. We are seeing people who are just struggling with emotional and mental stability. Yeah, you know, I just got off the phone with a good friend of mine. She's the director at the Children's Hospital in North Dallas there in Texas and she just said for the last three years they have seen an alarming spike and not only in youth depression but also in youth attempting suicide so this has really become a crisis in our nation I assume those listening internationally as well yeah well just from a local standpoint we have one high school on Molokai it's uh, got just under 400 students, so it's not very big at all. But in the last several years, as I'm working with high school students on a fairly regular basis, I'm amazed at how many kids struggle with anxiety issues to the point of being on medication. Yeah. Something even 10, 12 years ago, you didn't hear about that. But even in our little high school, seeing the, the rise of these types of things among our kids, and it's like, wow, you're you're ninth, 10th, 11th grade. What on earth is making you so anxious? But we're seeing this. Yeah, you know, we're seeing it, you know, in our state and throughout the country. Would you consider this a result of the worldwide COVID pandemic that was with us for the last several years? Well, I think some of those stats are obvious. You know, it has some of the things that have taken place have risen since COVID. But if you go back and you look at pre-COVID, that. You see it was rising even before we hit COVID. Mm -hmm. For instance, the teen suicide rate between 2007 and 2018 rose by 60%. That's pre-COVID. And we saw that rise to those kind of levels. So yes, COVID certainly didn't help the situation. You know, being quarantined and having to stay home and for our kids doing school online and those types of things certainly exasperated what was already moving in a very concerning upward trend. 
Yeah, now Randy, there have been a lot of articles on this, but what do you see as some of the contributing factors to the current crisis? It's one of those things, Pat, I think, you know, there are a number of things. I don't think you can look and say, well, this, this right here is culprit. This is what's causing it all. But there's been some really interesting information coming out that is kind of paralleling what, where we're at. And it was about 2012 that we got to the point where majority, I want to say it was upwards to 70, 80% of our kids, our youth over 12 years old, had a smartphone. And all of a sudden, with that, we started seeing some things trend upward. Having access to media at your fingertips is a struggle for adults, let alone when you stick it in the hands of preteens and teens, dealing with all the information that is just flooding their way. Kids would typically, in that age category, they're not looking at a newspaper, they're not looking at headlines. But with a smartphone, things pop up and come, even if you're not spending time reading an article, you're seeing some of these very discouraging, depressing things that pop up, even if it's just for a few seconds. And then you have, of course, all the social media stuff that goes with that, and body comparisons and shaming and bullying and all those different kind of things. So I think that certainly has to be a part of some of what's going on. We also have studies that are demonstrating that kids are hitting puberty earlier than they did as early as the 1980s. You know, it's, it's arisen, especially for girls. And I think there's contributing factors there. Of course, our family structures have been breaking down at an alarming rate. So you have kids being raised by single parent, kids having no influence of a father in the home, those types of things. And then on top of that, I, I think one of the biggest things in the last several years is the whole identity confusion. I mean, we are now pushing in our schools that you may not be a boy or girl. doesn't matter what your biology demonstrates. And, you know, we're not sure what you are either. You've got to figure that out on your own. And so all of this stuff adds to this big kind of confusing pool for our youth that's creating some of these emotional and mental struggles that they're going through. Yeah. When people ask me this question, I say, well, I, I try to summarize it, you know, in just this one phrase. I try to say at the root of our problem, you know, is ungodly lifestyle and an invasion mm -hmm. of false ideas, mm -hmm. you know, and yeah. when you're living an ungodly lifestyle and mm -hmm. being bombarded with a host of false ideas of what is reality. What does yeah. it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to be good-looking, socially yeah. accepted? Who do I yeah. compare myself to? You have an invasion of false ideas, not just philosophical ideas, but ideas about reality and truth, along with an ungodly lifestyle. I, you know, an ungodly lifestyle may not be you're out there you know, in drugs, but I think an ungodly lifestyle, as you mentioned, is being in isolation. When you're in your yeah. room watching YouTube or being mm. on social media, isolated, not interacting. I believe God created us to be in community and, and to be relational yeah. beings. God is a relational God. You know, God is love. Mm -hmm. That requires relationship. Yeah. That's when I say that's an ungodly lifestyle. You combine all of that. Gosh, it just 
it just can't be healthy, can it? No. I mean, we've fostered for years now this environment that we're in. I mean, this didn't, this didn't just happen overnight. You know, you, you ask if COVID is the problem. No, certainly has contributed recently, but this has been fostering for years. You know, when we take God out of our schools and we consistently try to take him out of everything, not just our kids, but our adults, if, if you don't have a worldview that has a creator God, boy, that's going to create all kinds of problems for you. Because if there's not a creator, if I am just a chance happening of atoms and molecules that have come together and formed into this accident of me, there's really then no meaning, no purpose, and there's no hope. Yeah. And so it really is goes down to the most simplest parts of the equation. Is there a God who created? And if there is then there's meaning and there's purpose and there's ultimate hope. And I think that's a big part of where we are with our youth and our adults. Yeah, I think, you know, I suffered from depression in high school because I had come to reject the belief in God. And as I Mm -hmm. began looking at the outlook, realizing the same thing that all the great philosophers had come to. I I didn't know because I hadn't really read them or studied them, but I mean, ultimately, there's no meaning or purpose for my existence. I'm an accident. The universe is an accident. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, everything ends in death. So like you said, the sense of purpose and hope and dignity really is all gone once you remove the relationship with God. That's a great point you make. Yeah. Yeah. So it starts there. I also want to touch on this other one, which I mean, there's a lot of things you brought up here, but, you know, having a smartphone, I notice a lot of parents I talk to who are struggling with their kids, the inability of their kids to express themselves or relate or control their emotions. A lot of times I just ask them and I would say maybe 90, 95 percent of the time I, I ask them, how much time is your kids spending on on the computer on the cell phone you know and i think 90 percent of the time they're saying oh man they spend so much time on the cell phone you know and they're in their rooms on the cell phone they're up till two three in the morning on social media or whatever it may be there's something there where teens are isolating themselves and going into this virtual world which i think creates a false reality for them and The many teachers that I talk to, because I'm in the educational arena, says our kids we are seeing have a problem with SEC, social, emotional, and communication ability, more and more and more. And I think it's because they're in this digital world. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. No, there's a lot to it. I think think we're going to even see more research coming out pointing to these things that it just makes sense because you can step into your own virtual world, right? I mean, you, that's a whole big part of the problem of identity where you're, even in social media, you create who you want to be. Even your pictures, you fix those and change those to make the impression that you want to make as you put that picture out online. Your communication is done in that way with your friends. And, and listen, here's the situation for a parent. We know that there are certain things that aren't necessarily bad, but too much of it isn't good. You know, for instance, some kind of dessert. Is cake bad? Well, no, but if that's all your kid is eating, it's (laughs) bad, and it's going to hurt them in a very bad way. So what do we do? We say, well, look, you can have some cake after you eat 
you know, this meat and these uh, potatoes or this rice or, or whatever the case might be. And then when we give you the cake, we're not going to give you the whole cake. We're going to give you a slice of cake. So the idea is that as a parent, we know what nutritionally is good for our kids and what is a treat for our kids. And I think when it comes to things like media and, you know, the Internet, I think we approach it with the same type of mentality. Look, this isn't necessarily bad. In fact, there's a lot of good things. But too much of this is going to be harmful, especially for their little minds that haven't developed yet, and even for teens that aren't at the place yet where they can reason through things the way that they need to. And so we're going to put a limit on this. If you're listening to this and you're a parent, I would urge you, if you don't have some kind of blocks or different things on your kids' phones that monitor what they're doing and where they're at, man, it's just like setting them loose in a very dangerous, dangerous world without any kind of protection. And that's our responsibility as parents is to, is to protect our children from these things. And again, I was talking to a friend the other day. I thought this was great. He has uh, kids that range from uh, seven all the way up to 16. And he said, you know, all three of my kids have cell phones and they know when they got the phone, they know it's not their phone. It's mom and dad's phone. They just have a chance to use it. So that means that we can pick it up at any time and look and see what's on there. I thought that was great. It's a great way to approach it. Yeah, you know, we did a show. I think it's entitled Technology and the Fate of Human Destiny. Can't remember mm-hmm. who, who my guest was on that show, but one of the statements he made is, the more technologically advanced we're getting, the less human we're becoming. Yeah. For example, yeah. when we communicate, well, back in the day, you talk to one another, whether it's on the phone or face-to-face. And if it was really serious, it's face-to-face. Yes. Here, it's texting, texting. Yeah. and. We're not meant to communicate that way. It's really hard to develop relationship that way. That's right. That's right. And I may step on a few toes here, but, you know, when it came to church, it was unthinkable that you would stay home and watch it on TV. I mean, that's something you did if you were sick Mm -hmm, kind of thing. Otherwise, you wanted to be at church. You wanted to be there in community and worship with people and be there face to face. And, you know, since COVID, I've heard statistics as high as 50% of Christians haven't come back to church and that they're doing it virtually. And I've come to the conclusion, I think it's almost impossible to build a healthy relational community through Zoom. No, absolutely. And you know, Pat, I don't want to deviate too much here, but you kind of went down that road and that you kind of just hit a very soft spot in my heart. One of the things that COVID brought out with this whole thing, which does deal with building relationships, is that there has been a soft teaching in the church on what the church is. And I think what happened is a lot of people equated church. I go to church to hear a sermon. I hear a guy speak for 30 or 45 minutes on a Sunday morning. That's church. Well, if that's our mentality of church, then yes, I can go online on a Sunday morning. I don't have to get up and I don't have to get dressed and I don't have to spend, you know, an extra couple of hours that I could be doing something else. I can watch this sermon on YouTube, 45 minutes, I'm done, I'm sitting in casual clothes or whatever it is, and I'm good to go and, and I'm still doing quote unquote church. And we've lost the whole reality that church is not one guy preaching, it's not a building. It's people, and it's relationships, and it's face-to-face, and it's, it's building those things and growing together and bearing each other's burdens and, 
weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice and those types of things. And so when we take that out of the equation, yeah, we're going to struggle with building relationships. And we're telling our kids in those types of situations, too, that, hey, you don't need all of this. Yeah, go ahead. Continue to build this alternate reality that you just mentioned a minute ago. In fact, it's interesting that we hear a lot about the concerns about artificial intelligence, right? I don't hear a whole lot being said about artificial identity. And we're building these artificial identities because we're not building relationships face-to-face, person-to-person. Yeah, you know, and it's really interesting. When I was growing up, mom couldn't keep me in the house. I want to go out there and ride my bike with my friends and play football and baseball and do whatever. Yeah. And a lot of parents are struggling because it's the opposite. Johnny won't go out of the house or Jane would rather stay in their room be on their cell phone and social media or YouTube or whatever. And back in the day, that was unthinkable. You know, kids were always outside playing with their friends and everything uh, kind of thing. Building those social relationships, getting into fights and learning how to figure it out and resolve all that. And I'm seeing, seems to be the opposite. Kids rather stay home in the room on YouTube. In fact, they'd rather communicate text rather than face-to-face, you know. I mean, I've had situations where guys and girls would text each other all night long, and then, but when they get to school, they don't say a word to each other. Yeah. I think that's the opposite of what it's supposed to be. Yeah, and I think with all that, Pat, really with that, you know, kind of bringing that all full circle, that's not the thing that's contributing to the, the mental health crisis among our youth, but it's certainly some of what is doing that. We take all of these kind of situations and we mix them in the pot and it doesn't come up with a very palatable concoction. It's been very detrimental to our youth. Yeah, and I think also another one that you hit on, you know, identity confusion. And you stated if we take God out of the equation, we take biblical truth out of the equation, you know, the Bible says we're created in the image of God. We are designed by our creator to be spiritual, to be relational, as well as physical, mental, emotional beings. I mean, you take that out, and really, who are we, along with gender confusion and all of that? Well, I think that's tremendously stressful for young people who are trying to understand and build their identity and understand who they are and what their mission and purpose of of life is. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, we have not done our kids any favors by dealing with situations in the family the way that we have. Again, the breakdown of family. All the research demonstrates that a two-parent, specifically a mom and a dad in the home, is healthy and helpful to the development of the child. And then when you add on top of that, the interaction the specific intentional interaction of dad and mom with their children is tremendously beneficial toward the health of the children in that home. You know, and then talk about stability and identity. All of those things contribute well, and and we have not done a good job in our society with any of that. And so we're bearing the fruit of many years of downplaying and even uh, contributing to the destruction of different things. 
Yeah, and this is where I believe not only God's truth, but God's people, the community of believers and disciples in Christ, is more relevant than ever. So, Randy, you know, how should followers of Christ respond? Well, Pat, I think the first thing is we've got to be careful when we talk about mental health crisis, emotional realities with people, that we we're not looking at these folks as less than. These are very real issues, you know, just as if they had high blood pressure or some other kind of physical ailment. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. We have a wide variety of different topics that will make for an incredible conference series. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or schedule an apologetics conference at your location, give him a call. In Hawaii, that number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Be sure to use our search engine for available resources. We have everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio free to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the Air, we rely on generous financial support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to partner with us, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. 